Hello and welcome back. My name is Cornelius McGrath and this is The Junto, a space where game changers from all over the globe gather to have the conversations that truly matter. When I'm not behind the microphone, I'm traveling the world with an empire state of mind building my business called Everyday Entrepreneur. It's a new media storytelling collective that's home to a modern day university called Breakouts, a 12 month lifestyle fellowship called The School, a social mutual improvement club called The Junto, and a quarterly publication called 1727. If you're interested in learning more, visit everydayentrepreneur.co. My guest today is Karen Kildow, founder and CEO of Content Capital. I reached out to Karin at the top of the year, ahead of my first trip out to LA since February of 2018. I had tracked her on social for a long time and had always admired the way she used the platform to tell stories. It seemed effortless. It turns out we were meeting at the perfect time. Karin, who has had an illustrious career at Red Bull, Uninterrupted and Beyond Meat, was getting ready to go full-time on content capital and make it a cutting-edge media company focused on helping athletes tell their stories. Karen and I had the chance to sit down together in LA to record this episode. We dissect our life story, her approach to social, what drives her philosophy behind storytelling, and her biggest dreams for her new company. Without further ado, here's Karen Kildow. Karen Kildow, welcome to the Genzo. Thanks for having me. This is great. This is super fun. Um, thank you for making the time. Of course. Can we set the scene, please, for the audience? Okay, we are. In at- your words. We are at Soho House, West Hollywood. We are in the content studio. We're overlooking all of Beverly Hills. It's slightly overcast. This but is this beautiful. is content capital HQ in my it mind. It is. It is. Yes, we're here a lot of the time. So this is very fitting for the podcast. Beautiful. Well, look, it's wonderful to meet you. Um, as I said, and for everybody who's listening at home, I've tried you for a while. Um, I told you the story when we first met, but. Uh, you and another great mentor of mine, I think we're wearing the same hat, six years apart. And um, Carissa Foglia? I don't know where the brand is, but you're both blonde, you're both tall, and That's- you're both wearing this hat. And so the mentor I'm talking about is Molly Dwarf-Swenson. Shout out to Molly. She's been on the show. And so when I saw you in, in Lindsay's Instagram story, I was like, huh. Like, That's an interesting universe moment. Followed you. Loved the chin drip. Loved the content. <laughs> And then when we were planning the retreat to LA, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to send an email and see what happens. And it worked. It worked. The tin drip was the headline. And it caught the attention? Yes, of course. I was like, what is going on here? Excellent. And also the tin drip for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain it? I actually, and I've stopped doing it, so now it's probably going to be hard for people to get. But um, no, I just, whenever I work out, one time I was like, oh my God, I'm sweating so much. And I tried to see how. I could capture it when you are sweating so much, one drip of sweat like drips off your chin. So I posted it and then all of a sudden everyone started sending yeah. me the same video and then it became this chin drip thing and yeah, people still send it to me. I get a lot of sweaty pictures of people. Amazing. Are you happy you did that? It shows, I think, the power of social. Hey, we'll talk, like, about, this, this, talk a lot about that today. Yes, it did. It was like a user-generated campaign. I didn't know I was starting. Yeah, amazing. I'm surprised someone hasn't picked you up for that yet. It's funny. Actually, Jake, who we just met here, um, he was doing a pitch for something. And he's like, I think I'm going to pitch Tindrip for like Peloton. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. He's like, am, do I, am I allowed? I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get some brand partnerships out of this. Yeah, that's so, amazing. Still just a hidden gem out yeah. there. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for being here. Um, Super excited to dive in today. I think hitting you at an almost perfect moment. Um, 
won't get to the good news straight away. Um, but yeah, I, I always love bringing people on to the show that piqued my curiosity. I don't really have any other agenda outside of that and um, really loved our first conversation, love some of the stuff you've built and I'm really excited you're going full time on, on the thing that you love. Yeah. That's what we're all about. But um, I start all these shows the same way. Um, so the question is, who the fuck is Karen Kildo? And how does she think about the world? Well, um, I think Karen Kildow is, you know, I'm a Midwest girl at heart and I kind of, the world of sports and media has brought me to LA and I just, I feel like I'm a person who's intrigued at meeting people, learning about them and then helping them tell their stories to a larger audience because I feel like I love when I meet people and I get to I kind of have a little skill, I guess, of picking up the thing that's really interesting that the person doesn't even notice is interesting to them. And I'm mm. like, that's something. Let's use that. And so, mm. you know, I just, I started at working at Red Bull, just wanted to do marketing. And I've grown up around professional athletes. Lindsay Vaughn's my older sister. So I've seen that from, a, you know, being a young kid wanting to be great to winning the Olympic gold and that whole story. So I always just really connected with athletes specifically. And so I just kept following that my whole career and got into the world of social right as social was kind of starting. I think I started when people were just putting filters on Instagrams mm. and Vine was huge. And yeah. And so I just kept going in that vein and the world's combined. And now it's it's kind of 100% focus on athlete and entertainment, social content. That's amazing. And so tell me, like, when did you know you were good at social? Because I said this to you in the first call, and I, I don't want this to get missed. I do believe it's a skill. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a respected skill at some level. But given that anybody can go viral at any time, I think people are actually tripping on the dedication and the pursuit. Mm -hmm. So, like, when did you know you were good? Tell me about that day. I don't think I ever necessarily knew I was Good. I just really liked it because I started, you know, when Instagram just started and I just was always very comfortable sharing about my life. And slowly but surely you start, I think if you're authentic in what you're sharing and you're, it's fun. And I just kept getting more and more interest in it. And then actually one of my first jobs, I was a marketing manager for Red Bull in Miami. And it was when they're like, every market should have their own Instagram account. And I was, I just loved doing my own. Mm. And so like, okay, let's start Red Bull Miami. And I think I got it to like 10,000 followers in a few months. And it was one of the biggest city accounts. And so then that got the attention of Red Bull Media House. And I was like, I didn't know I was good at this, but, you know, I just kind of posted the things I would want to see and try to be authentic and tried to talk to people like people versus like a brand. Mm. And, mm. and then... I think it really clicked when I started teaching people about social because I didn't, I think a lot of it is, I kind of understand it naturally without knowing why, but it, to teach it to people is really fun and because they're like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't ever think like that. So I think it's just my thought process about it is just trying to share things that I would want to see mm. and talk in a very authentic way, like talk to people like your friends versus you're posting something to millions of people on the internet. Yeah. But tell me, like, when you're a kid, how did this manifest before social media? 
Like, does this manifest in your interactions, the way you built relationships? I think so. I've always been very, I grew up with uh, five siblings. Three of them are triplets. So I've always been pure chaos and I love people. Like, I love people around. I love talking to people. Mm. And again, I just really am curious and mm. always want to hear more about what someone does. And so I think over time, those are the, the elements that help on social because it's like that one story you told it was really cool. Tell that on social. This one mm. thing about, you know, your hands are double jointed and that's why you're so good at catching a football. Like yep. no one knows that, but you know that. So tell people that. So I think it's just about like listening to people and kind of being excited about the small little moments. So I, yeah, I just, that, that does really help. Yeah. So I saw you spend some time at US, USD mm-hmm. down in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I saw a little Italy study abroad as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've just got done with Anita Elbers's course at, at Harvard. Um, so quite an array of, I guess, educational and cultural experiences. Mm-hmm. Why have you done all those three things? Like, what were you chasing in, in each of those moments? Tell me about the move to USD. Was it just for warmer weather? The bop to Italy? And then, of course, now, um, you know, as a kind of, you know, fully grown adult, going into the the HBS course. I mean, I know it's pretty well regarded and some big names in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, like, what do you, you strike me as a lifelong learner. What are you trying to top up? What are you chasing? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to my dad was always very adamant about you. Everyone will go to college. And then once you go to college, you're required to study abroad. Didn't really necessarily know why, but it was like from the start, that's how it was. And then when I was in high school, I was obsessed with college. I think I applied to 13 colleges and I I really wanted to not be in Minnesota necessarily. I didn't hate Minnesota, but I always wanted to go somewhere else and go away to school. I think I chose San Diego because I was watching the OC. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I want to be Marissa Cooper. I'm going to be on the beach. Hell yeah. And so I want to go to Pepperdine or Loyola Marymount and San Diego ended up being it. And yeah. I think it was great, like having to leave your comfort zone, uh-huh. know no one, and start a life, you know, right out of co- uh, high school, I think was really profound. And I loved it. I loved having to meet new people and um, be uncomfortable. And I, I've really done that. I mean, I think then going to Italy was the same thing. Um, that was like the requirement. You had, you had to study abroad and then you meet more people and you get you build that confidence. And like, I can start from zero and I can make my life in three months or in four years or whatever it was. So I've always loved, it's like my favorite thing to go somewhere with a mission, but knowing no one and then having to build it all yourself. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, my one of my favorite things I've ever had to do for work was at Uninterrupted, which is LeBron James Media Company. I had been there like maybe three months and I was working on this project. It was the Nike World Tour. So LeBron every year in the off season, or most years, will go with Nike on a world tour. And it's like two weeks and they try to hit as many countries as they can. And I was helping, helping, helping. And the guy who was supposed to go had to pull out. And they're like, three days before the trip, they're like, you need to go. So I got a Chinese visa and awesome. I went from um, LA to Shanghai, Shanghai to Paris, then to Berlin, then to New York, then back. But it was my favorite thing because I knew no one. It was extremely like challenging. I had to manage the Nike relationship, the uninterrupted relationship. I had to make sure LeBron knew the film crew. And then 
throughout all the changing locations and logistics. And it was so fun. I love it when you just have a task to do, but like it requires you, you know, meeting all these people and navigating those situations. So it was very hard, but that kind of thing is my favorite. And after college, I actually went to LA, then North Carolina alone, then Miami alone, then back to LA. So having to go in and start over quickly and achieve something is my favorite. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think it's just a feeling of accomplishment and a feeling of getting through the uncomfortable. Mm. Because I always tell people if they're going to move to a new city, the first two weeks you're excited and you're like, this is great. I'm doing it. Then the next two weeks to a month is like, holy shit, I shouldn't have done this. I know Mm. no one. Yeah. And if you push through that, you can't freak out in that month and move back. You have to just push through it. And then you'll slowly get one friend, then go to another thing, and then meet two friends. And all of a sudden, you start to build your community and and feel good. But I think it's the challenge of not knowing and having to feel like, oh, shit, I made a mistake. And then when you overcome that, the feeling of accomplishment is really, really big, and, and for me at least. Yeah. So t- tell me about how you spent your time at you know USD. So you had the OC image Vision. in your head. Mm-hmm. Um like, were you bopping around campus? Were you trying to find people that you feel like fit with this opera- modus operandi of of story, of the unknown? Because it feels like coming out, no, there was no stopping you. At least I, I personally felt that college was a, a little bit limiting because my curiosity had bounds. Mm. Like, it still came back to class at the end of the day. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, 20-year-old, 21-year-old Karen, like, what's she like? Yeah. I didn't know what I wanted to do going to college at all. I just wanted to be in the OC. And <laughs> what, be, did you get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, <laughs> I met so many people. Like, I went to Laguna Beach High School. I was like, no way. Do you know like Lauren what? Conrad? And they're like, no. They're like, that, that's stupid. I'm like, well, it's a big deal to me. But um, so I had to get that out of my system, the starstruck Minnesotan. Just my friends used to tell people that I thought, the fountains on campus were hot tubs. That's hilarious. Like I was very sheltered from Minnesota life to like all of a sudden be at USD with all these, everyone had fancy cars and Uh it was kind of an immersion into like a new Southern California life. And I just, I really like psychology and I really like communication. So I guess that wraps together into like marketing storytelling really well. Yep. And by the time I was leaving college, I had, yeah, like a marketing major and psychology major or something of that sort. But I was like, I think marketing is going to be my place. And I just, I tell everyone this because I had no idea. I didn't know if I was going to be in sales or whatever, but I just picked a company that I thought was really doing things well. And I was like, I'll take any job. Like you get on the rocket ship, you don't ask what seat. Mm. So I just was like, I'll be on the wings team, like the driving the Mini Cooper, handing out Red Bulls. Wow. In college. It was like my senior year. Like my last semester, I was like, I'll start there and see where I go. And I just was obsessed with the brand. I was obsessed with what they taught you. Like they teach you how to talk about every single product. You have to have 31 second interactions with every person you meet. So it was just like you got to talk about a brand with hundreds of people every day. So it was just, I loved it. And I ended up, it was kind of like just follow what you think is interesting. Mm. So um, then I applied for those five internships at, the Los Angeles office every summer and you know there's hundreds of wings team members and student yeah. brand managers and I was like I've got to get one of these but then I I 
somehow. I don't really know how, but I, I got one and I got to go to LA and like work in the headquarters. And uh, I just was completely intoxicated by the brand. And I just was like, I'm going to keep working here, keep moving my way up. But I don't think it was necessarily a, a clear vision or path of what I wanted to do. I just kind of kept doing what was fun and following the thing that I thought was was like interesting and yeah. the the company that I thought was doing it right. Yeah, I love that. Can you tell me more about the, you said 31 second interactions. Mm -hmm. What is this? Yes, I don't know. I think this is probably internal knowledge, but I'm going to say it anyways. Hey, it's not. Yeah. Um, but at Red Bull, so they have the Wings Team is a sampling program. It's meant to drive trials. So like just get people to try one Red Bull. And when it started, uh, it was one girl in Austria and they're like, here's a bunch of Red Bull, go get people to try it. And she did it and no one wanted it. No one wanted to try it, it was weird. No one knew what an energy drink was. So she's like, I hope you're not mad, but I just asked my friend to come along because I was so bored. And um, I just started giving them all out, giving everybody Red Bull. And then that they're like, it's working. People are now trying it and sales are going up. So they created a whole Wings Team program. So it's always two people, a Mini Cooper, give out product but they have a very intense system of how mm. you do that you never go up to someone and say hey do you want a red bull you have to say oh what are you doing and they're like oh, i'm studying for my test and be like well you know what red bull actually increases concentration do you know that and they're like no and be like do you want to try one and you always had to talk to them to understand what they were doing and find the consumption occasion consumption occasion consumption occasion what a word i know and this is like People in college, like we knew this stuff back and front. Like wow. you knew everything about how to, you're kind of like learning to navigate this and, and make a product applicable to any random person based on consumption occasions. So you always had to talk to them for the ideal thing with 31 second interaction. Never start with, do you want a Red Bull? Always apply a, a product benefit. Yep. And then and then once they there, that you're not selling them on something, they're like sold already. And then they kind of remember, oh, when I'm studying, I should drink Red Bull. So it was it was very profound. I, don't, I still don't think a lot of companies have sampling programs like that. And I loved the like stringentness of it. And they would actually like sometimes your manager would follow you at the Mini Cooper and they'd be like, that wasn't a 31 second interaction and you oh, forgot damn. the product benefit and that ingredient question was wrong. So they like held everybody to a very high standard. It's the real deal. Oh yeah, and then I went when I went to North Carolina and Miami. I actually was training like teams of Wings team members and the college programs, the student brand manager program. So I loved it because it's it's just like they train you to be a marketer from day one without you even knowing it. So how did you get those opportunities? I'm assuming you come into the LA office, you clearly impress, graduate, and then they send you off. Um, no. It, I mean, you get a three-month internship and then it's either done or then you've got a little more credibility to potentially get one of the full-time roles. But, oh, wow. So yeah. it wasn't a guaranteed thing? No, no, no. Some people just, you know, three months and then you go on to the next thing. But I think the biggest thing I did was I always rose my hand. I always pushed to be in stuff even when I probably shouldn't have been. Like, you, I think my advice to younger people is like, don't sit back and wait for somebody to tell you to do something like I would be like can I sit in on this meeting it was like a big marketing meeting I was like can I just sit in and not talk and just listen or like 
hey, here's like three athletes I think we should sign. I remember like I even like would email like the head of like head of marketing, head of sports marketing. And then like a year later, I was like, that was really bossy for an intern. Just be like, I think these are three athletes we should sign. I'm so knowledgeable as a 21 year old out of college. But but it did like then you I pretty much got better relationships with those people. Mm. And they're like, well, she's a go getter. Maybe they thought I was crazy, but they're like, at least she's trying. And it can't be scarier than skiing downhill at a very fast speed, right? Yeah, not really. I, I don't think skiing is ever scary, so. Okay, well, we'll, we'll disagree on that up front. <laughs> but no fear is, is something that you struck me as having. Yeah, it's like no fear and just doing it. Just raise your, like, raise your hand, be involved, push to do things. And like, mm. I think that speaks volumes. Like, you're going to make mistakes, but at least you're somebody that people are like, oh, they're trying. They're trying. And so that's what I did all summer. And then they're like, there's two openings for a full-time role. One's in Memphis and one's in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I, again, I was just like, okay, I think Raleigh. And I like flew to Raleigh and the same thing. Like I somehow got the job, but then they, they just, they'll drop you in a city where you know no one and you have to manage 20 people Yeah, and do the marketing for that area. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. How old are you at this point? Yeah, like 20, 21, 22. Yeah. And it was and like being in the South and knowing yeah. not one person. And all of a sudden you're like managing 20 people has a lot too. Yeah, you're a long way from OC at this yeah, point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the same thing, you just kind of do it and you just say like, what's the best I can make of the situation? And I was like, I'm going to be the best in the country, even though... Raleigh is a tiny market, not mm. considered like you should be managing LA or New York if right, you're going to be a, right. but I, I just kept doing it and not, I think I also never thought of it as like, oh, I'm at a disadvantage. I was like, I'm going to make North Carolina on the map as the best marketing yeah. program in the country. So it's just a competitive nature, I guess, to be like, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to be the best at it. And you're not above it. No. Yeah. No, I was like, I'll take, I mean, I, I kind of knew I was like, headquarters doesn't care about or doesn't even notice Raleigh as a market because it's not big, but I was like, I'm going to make them. And it was the same thing. I would just send my recaps. I would send all these reports to the high up people and just be like, hey, this is cool. And then it, it really did work. But I think it's the same thing. Just keep kind of pushing forward and keep trying your best and showing people what you do. And then and then actually after a year in Raleigh, they promoted me to Miami, which is top three market. So, yeah. So when did social come into play? Yep. So that so that's what it was. So I was just doing like brand marketing, field marketing, college market. It was just very like field marketing centric. And then Miami, the big territory, big responsibility. And that's when they were like, and Instagram was just starting. And then that's when the Red Bull Miami Instagram came into play. And I was like, I, yeah, I want to raise my hand. I want to. I this is like early 2010s ish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, tw- yeah, twenty. 20- 13 probably okay yeah yeah and then yeah and then social and then as soon as that happened then i finally got the promotion to go back to la and that was my first job in social so i had no like i mean i think the thing is like no one really has any experience on social at that point so they're like anybody who kind of has an idea and can try to do it let's do it so and i was they were like don't do social it's going to be like a almost like a frivolous or like mm. that's not a substantial role you should take this big like marketing manager for the southeast and i was like i think i want to do social i feel like this is gonna be fun yeah and so yeah i just did it but 
but it was that was a big shift to go because I had a yeah I had gotten a big role to do the head of marketing for or head of field marketing for the South, and then Red Bull Media House as a quote influencer program, and I remember the head of marketing was like, "Don't do that." That's oh wow. They're like, "That's gonna be you're gonna be bored of that. That's not gonna look good on your resume." Do this, but the other role in the South was a much bigger role. But I just better really, money, better lifestyle. Better money, but is it you know is in Atlanta? Yeah. It was managing like ten manager level people, but I was just like I feel like this will be cool to be in like an innovative space, mm. and I wanted to be in media, and so I was like if I'm at Media House, I think I'll be around the right people to learn. So that too, like I was like I don't want to. You have to surround yourself with where you want to go. So even if you. You know, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's like, I know this is kind of the place I want to be. So I was like, I'll take the risk and take less money and just see where it goes. Yeah. And what called you to it? And I'm curious, in your own personal life, how were you using social at the time? My own personal life, I was posting granny pictures of... (laughs) I don't know. I just like, I think it was just like random pictures of Miami. And I would do this thing where I always thought it was so funny, like rap lyrics. Oh, yeah. they're kind yeah, of ridiculous yeah. at times. Yeah, yeah. So I used to make quote cards, like um, quote graphics of ridiculous rap text and be like, like Snoop was genius for this one. And it was like zucchini, no weenies, bikinis, like blah, blah. it was like a, a lyric in a song. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, think of somebody actually writing this down and then saying to a producer, I'm going to record this. And they're like, do it. Yeah, Zucchinis yeah. and bikinis and no weenies all rhyme let's go for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i just would post those and everyone loved them and so it was kind of that that like um yeah affirmation of like oh i thought this was funny myself and now other people think it's funny and then i kept doing it so it's like the repetition on social where it was actually a format and a series that i was creating without knowing people it. expect it people expect it and then people would send me like oh you should do this song this is funny yeah. So that that's what I was doing. I was just and it, at the time it's so fun because there's no pressure on it. Like, mm. you know, you're just like doing stuff for fun for your friends. Yeah. Yeah. That leads me beautifully into this next question, which is like, what do you think you see that nobody else does? I think it's, I think it's seeing, like, um, like seeing a light or seeing a something inspiring in a tiny thing. The social is so snackable. It's like tiny moments. And if you could see that tiny moment that everyone else sees, put a new spin on it. That's when I think things really pop and really go viral is just like just the smallest thing that you, everyone else might take for granted, like that rap lyric. If you just think of like, that's actually ridiculous. Yeah. And that was somebody's whole, it's kind of like, I feel like comedians do it really well where they see or like Jerry Seinfeld, it's like they put a new take on something that everybody sees. And yeah. so that's all it is, is just well, the first step is noticing it. The second step is just posting it. And then if you can add another joke on top of it or another spin. Make it yours. Yeah. Add context. Like I always tell the story about like one of my clients, he's a top three wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. And he's like, yeah, I have uh, two knuckles in my palms. It's just weird. So his hands are huge and he has double knuckles. So I was like, you were genetically made. Like, isn't that crazy that of all the traits, you had this one that made you even faster and better and you could catch the ball better than anyone else. Like, yeah, I guess so. And so then it's like, let's post that. 
Yeah. Like let's let's tell people that because I'm I know the world will be like this famous athlete has like a one weird trait about his knuckles that makes him so good. Yeah. So it's just finding like little things and and sharing them with people. But yeah. you have to just be looking for them and being curious about tiny little details. Yeah. So I asked you the day you knew when you were good. The next question I'm going to ask is, when did you know that this was a business? Okay, this is a very uh, specific moment. Um, but I've been doing brand social forever. Um, one one first moment was at Red Bull, they had a very, I mean, they're posting 20 times a day. And they, they are like, to me, they were the brand that made it. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the helicopter in ski team dive all the way to now like hitting the home runs on the side of the chicago river yeah you know all the plane stuff i mean red bull was edgy it was stunt it was electric yeah and i think i was very lucky to be at a company where social wasn't to sell products red bull's social was just get people excited show them show people uh it was like give wings to people and ideas so like the basis of my marketing knowledge is don't sell to people, inspire them with mm. content. So I knew that. And then Red Bull had a huge, I mean, it grew into a big social program and we were doing deep analytics. And we'd say like, oh, uh, turns out blue photos are doing better overall out of thousands of posts. Or like when video started coming out, they're like, oh, vertical video. Yeah. So don't do the wide crop, let's do vertical. And over thousands of posts, this, this you know, gets like four times the engagement. And so I, so the time red bull media house there was a g- athlete gym right next door to our offices so Lindsay, my sister was always coming in oh yeah and working out and i was like hey i think you should just post videos because we're seeing that on red bull you should do like workout videos and those will do well I th- i'm pretty positive positive." and she started doing them and it started working mm. and that was where i was like oh we just applied these insights to an athlete and it really really worked Amazing. You know, and so I kept doing that. I kept doing that. I kept doing that to all the other athletes. And then I would start kind of putting these things into like fundamental groups of this is how you like formulaically figure out how to do social. So that was big where I was like, I can figure this out. And if I apply it to an individual person, it works even better. And what year was this? And this is 2000, like 14 or 16, I think. And so that was big. And then I went to Uninterrupted, again, doing more athlete content and social. And what did you see there? Sorry to interrupt, oh, yeah, but what yeah. did you see at Interrupted? Uninterrupted. Uninterrupted, I was like, I want to work. I'd been working with athletes at Red Bull, and I was like, I want to be even more in sports. I want to do just sports and sports storytelling, not necessarily brand marketing. And so Uninterrupted was young and up and coming. Mm-hmm. I really loved Maverick Carter and his the way he was approaching pretty much all of LeBron's deals. I liked that they were doing a media company. Mm. And so I was like, this is great. And I I was like, this, I'll learn a lot here. So did you email him and say, these are the three people you should sign? I met him once um, at this conference and he was so nice. And I was just like, everything he's saying is so smart. And then I knew somebody else and they're like, it just kind of was a, a weird combination of meeting a couple people at once and then the job opened up and I got it, but it was 30 people at the time at the company. It was very new. It was risky for me to take from giant role at Red Bull to starting at this small boutique company. Um, but I loved it. And there are so many things to be said about uninterrupted and the way they work. But the moment I realized social for athletes was a business was 
after working at a media company and seeing like, oh, this is how you make money. This is how you turn content into profit and IP. Mm. I was doing, at the time I started working with DeAndre Hopkins on his social. And I did an analysis of his accounts for the year. And I realized that his growth and his engagement was the same as uninterrupted wow. in a year. And uninterrupted had posted like maybe a thousand or 2000 times and DeAndre had posted 12 times. And I was like, oh, if they can monetize their channels, then he can. Then he can. And if we just take what we're doing at any one of these brands and apply it to the athlete, there's opportunity here. And then I also, you know, it, it gives life to more storytelling. Cause, you know, we're uninterrupted. You're trying to tell athlete stories, but you're getting them to tell it for your channels or, you know, for the uninterrupted channel. And I was like, someone could be doing this. Uninterrupted can help. Amplify mm. their story, but I was like, they could be doing this every day, and they don't really know how. Yeah. So that's where I was like, I think there's something here, and I think there's a fundamental need for people to help the athletes storytell on their channels, so that not everyone else is telling their story; they're also telling their own story. Yeah. So two questions there before we keep rolling: What actually is the uninterrupted business model? And then tell me about what sparked your relationship with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, yeah. Um, the uninterrupted business model is, I mean, it's a media company. So it's like they do production for big films. They do um, branded content series. Yep. So it's like, let's make a great series and then we'll find a brand partner that fits that series and do it collaboratively with them. Um, so it's like the shop, a good example of that. HBO, the shop. The shop is a good example of they act that this was actually profound where they started the shop on their own channels. Uh, it got a lot of traction. They did it on their YouTube, I think. And then from there, Maverick Genius, as always, was like, hey, this is a show. Let's package it up. And then HBO bought it. And then there was, I think, three, four seasons on HBO. So it's the same thing. Like, if you show interest on social, yeah. you can, you know, get that on a major network. Yeah. Tell me about DeAndre. What sparked that relationship? Yeah, DeAndre was just a friend. Like, I think he was a friend of a friend. And he was very young and up and coming. I, I mean, we didn't really know that he was that going to be that big. I mean, I didn't follow football, but I was like, oh, yeah, cool. You're like a wide receiver. And then I'm like, oh, you're really good. And he just, I mean, he's not like super socially savvy on his own. He like does it. But I was like, just let me try. Let me just try to help you for a little bit, like literally for free. I just he did pro bono. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, in the beginning, I think I was just like, let me see how this goes. And, you know, slowly over time, just built it up. And it takes, I realized it takes a lot of trust and a lot of foundational relationship with the person to do their social. Because you're really helping them find their voice. You're helping understand why they post different things, why they won't. Like, I'll yeah. sit down with DeAndre and be like, why did you choose that picture? Give him 10 pictures. He's like, I want that one. I'm like, but why? And he's like, oh, because you can see my tattoo here. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. so this, like, you know, everyone sees themselves in different ways. And I think that um, it, it takes a lot of time to get the trust and the understanding of the person before you can start to help them storytell on their channels. So, yeah. So, and then, and then just kept building it over the last five years. And, but yeah, it was just a friend of a friend. Almost everybody is always just a, a friend. And then you're like, this is an opportunity for you if you want to do it. And he was smart to say, yeah, let's try it. So, yeah. Tell me about the day you knew you had to leave uninterrupted. I mean, I think uninterrupted, I feel like at every company, 
I say I'm going to work there until I feel like I've I'm not learning as much anymore. So I feel like I had or like I've accomplished what I want to accomplish there. So I think uninterrupted, I had built the team. We had a good, strong program going. Um, and I loved it. Leaving uninterrupted was one of the hardest things I've had to do. Um, but I just was like, I know I want to focus more on the athlete social thing. I just kept, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, if I don't do this now, I'll regret it. I, you know, I, I feel like I'll be, it's like the Jeff Bezos of regret mitigation theory. Like, I know I could keep going another two, three years at Uninterrupted, but am I going to keep learning at the rate that I would if I tried something else? So it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But I think it was just a matter of when you start repeating the same projects again, too. Like, when you're like year over year, you're like, okay, and now here we go. Super Bowl. And that's where I'm like, I think I've gotten this program down and I felt like I was leaving it in a good place. Like I never want to leave anywhere if it feels like you're going to gonna be in shambles. But I felt like it was good. It was strong. There was a successor that I felt like would be great. So I was like, this is the time to jump. Yeah. So why Beyond Meat? And Beyond Meat kind of ended up being a weird like stumbling into it thing where I was about, I was about to leave uninterrupted to do my do content capital full time. And then... Beyond me, I had had a long-standing relationship with. I've got a bunch of athlete investors into Beyond Meat pre-IPO, just because my friend worked there. He's like, "Does anyone want to invest in this?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's go." Um, so I introduced him to a handful of people, and then I watched that company IPO and the unicorn stock. And so right as I was leaving, they're like, "We really need help. We would love to have you come on and head social and digital." And it's just kind of a weird. Thing, and I was just like, you know what? It'd be, I, I just wanted to be like, I kind of want to work for, it would be interesting to learn from a company that was publicly traded and really, uh, I believed it, I believe in it for the sustainability of it and the planet. So I was like, I'm gonna, just going to do this and see how this goes. So it, it, on, or Beyond Me was kind of a uh, curveball or like a, a random kind of alignment of things, but I, 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 I'm glad I did that too because I feel like it taught me uh, the side of social that I hadn't really done before. So your brain just has to be firing in different ways. So it was definitely that. And you were doing content capital the whole time on the side throughout each of these processes? Um, more or less. I mean, I, th- I didn't always know it was going to be a company. I just was like, this is fun. I want to try to do this or this is interesting. Like DeAndre, you know, it wasn't definitely not whole time it was just like hey which of these should we post or I need help with this or it was just like a weekend thing and then I I kind of was like I want to start I think this could be something so it's just a matter of slowly trying to help more athletes and and then I'm like there's enough demand here I think I think the athletes needed enough um and that's why after Beyond Meat I think it hit a point where I was like I can't do this on the side I can't do it on the weekends. It's also really tiring to do full-time job and then get home and work on something and then on the weekends work on something. That's, I think, where it's really hard. So um, I, it was always kind of like in the back of my mind and it was just a matter of how can I, when can I commit my full-time to this? Because yeah. it, it got to the point where you're like, I'm going to drive myself crazy and I'm going to burn out trying to do two things. So we finally arrived. What is content capital in your words? 
So Content Capital is a, I think the first and only athlete first social consultancy. So we work with individuals and we help them storytell based on their social channels. And then eventually we hope to help those individuals kind of turn those channels into a media company structure. So it's like, how do we, how do you tell your story? How do you get more content out? And then once the content's working, how do we help monetize against that content? So sell it into a show or do a brand partnership on that. Um, and, and really the basis is just like help them tell their story better on the, on the massive media channels that they own every day. Because, yeah. And why leave a full-time job to do it right now? Like, why that moment? I mean, I feel like I've been wanting to, I wish I could, I mean, I kind of wish I could have done it sooner, but everything happens at the right time, I think. But right now I've, I've seen over the last five years, athletes not get it, not want to do it. They kind of know they have to do it to then say, this is very complex to do it well. So now is the time where I think people understand it enough to know that it's valuable. So I'm not having to explain why they should be on social anymore. Got it. But there's now so many channels and so many algorithms that it's really helpful to have somebody who really knows that space well helping you navigate it. And I think also now there's a lot of pressure on these athletes. Like if you're a relatively good athlete and you have been since college, you're going to have 250, 300, 500,000 followers. It's a lot of pressure to be posting on that publicly and knowing what to post, knowing not what not to post, or this brand wants me to post this thing and I don't think it's good. So they're just sitting there alone. Like when you're, everyone knows the feeling of like, is this weird? Is this good? I don't know. And you kind of build your confidence in that way. So it's really nice to have somebody who's saying, okay, we're going to do vertical video. Let's talk about these three topics. Let's do it at this rate. And you're always there to help them to say, here, what's the caption? You know, what's the best photo of all these 10? Like, I think it's just sometimes just a support system to have someone to talk to about it because there's a lot of pressure in it. And I don't think people realize the pressure of when you have that many followers and your whole career depends on it. And, you know, people, people hire people to manage their money. Like people should manage, help hire people to manage their social. Absolutely. So one of the things you said to me on our first call was, you know, people used to say you do tweets for a living, but there's actually way more to it. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into the strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my first reaction is having now unpacked kind of the beginning of your career, you've just had so many reps at different scales to see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so simplistically, it's like you're taking that as kind of a canvas mm-hmm. or maybe an ice sculpture. Mm-hmm. And then based on the tattoos, the personalities, the insecurities, the strengths, you're like chipping away mm-hmm. and you're getting DeAndre what he needs. Mm-hmm. Is that it? Or is there something else that I'm kind of missing? I think the first step is understanding the algorithms, which takes, you know, that's the kind of thing I've learned over time of just posting thousands and thousands of posts and mm. seeing the analytics and, you kind of know fundamentally Instagram's prioritizing video right now or Facebook wants Facebook watch or live to work. So you kind of know those basics of like, this is the type of content. And I think people can do that. Like a lot of people now know these algorithms, theories about the algorithms and whatnot. And that for me, it was working with Facebook, Instagram partners, like the partners at Twitter who would 
give you the real insights and then you're kind of confirming those with what's working. Um, and then after that, you have to get into, so some people can know that, but then it's like, okay, how do you build the brand? That's a little bit of a brand marketing exercise of, I always tell each client, like, try to focus on three pillars. So it, you love, it's like cooking and travel and football. Like your sport's probably always going to be one, but what are the other two? And then those are your North Stars of like what we post about. So you're not like, should I post about my food? Should I post about, you know, this event? I don't know. And it's like, okay, are they three pillars? Because those are the pillars that you care about that you then can build into pillars of your brand long term. Um, and then and then after that, you get into like creative storytelling of like, you like cooking. How should we tell this? Should we do it in cooking recipes or should we tell it? Do we have a chef on? Should we, you know, whatever it is. But like that's when you have to marry those two to say what's going to do the best in the algorithm and then what's going to help tell your story. And sometimes it's as simple as like for football players, it's like we need content without your helmet on so people can see your face. Like everyone's just seeing you playing with your helmet on. They see all the highlights on ESPN. What's something else you're going to tell them that shows your face that helps people know who you are? I heard a podcast where they said, um, they're like, it's no coincidence that everyone will know LeBron's from Akron. He grew up as an only child. He has a, you know, foundation. He has, I promise school. It's because he's told that story really, really well through social, through PR, through all of his things, but he's told that story and athletes have to tell their story and and help people understand why they should care about them. Because if you're just on the field playing with your helmet on, no one's going to know your story. So I think that's where social comes into play now that you can you can do that every day. And if you have a personality, if you're funny, if you're serious, like all those things, you should be telling the world and that will elongate your career so that after you can do whatever you want. So it's, it's day one. I'm a content capital client. All of that's great. But we both talked about this. You've mentioned it today. It's only as good as the trust you have. Mm-hmm. How do you build trust in the first couple of weeks? you know, assuming it's some type of referral, but still they haven't seen all the work that you've done, right? Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been for them. So how do you take, I guess, little bets to to prove out? And, you know, are you not really asking for permission? Are you gaining it? I'm curious how you think about it. It's different for every, for every person. Um, one thing that's worked well is we have content days. We're like, we're gonna have one day, we're going to spend an hour, probably like two hours maximum. So it's a very short amount of time and we're going to get a bunch of stuff. Some of it you won't know what it is or, but just trust us on that and we'll edit everything together for you. So like do a confused face, a surprise face, uh, do like, you know, it's like very small amounts of stuff. And then we take that back and edit it together until, you know, a TikTok trend or something like, oh, that's really funny. Like I didn't even feel like I was doing that much work and now I've got something that's like a viral moment. Got it. And so I think it, you kind of have to prove it out with like something that works. So it's hard because social, your account's been dormant, takes weeks to get the algorithm going. It, ta- it takes a little time. But as soon as you can like show something that they think is cool and something that they probably wouldn't have been able to do on their own and then once something works, like I'm really goes big then they're like okay okay we get this and then uh, and then after a couple of those the account starts growing and then it's like oh this is great but it's it's showing them things that they probably wouldn't have done on their own I think is is really helpful and then it's also being really really 
listening a lot because there's been a lot of times where I've had stuff that I thought was so cool and they're like, we're not posting that. Or I don't like that. And and you kind of have to like, you know, like your heart is broken a little bit because you're like, that yeah. would have been great. But then after you try different things and then eventually they're like, oh, that first one that you did, actually, let's do it now. So it's just they have to you have to build your own confidence of like putting yourself out there on social. And once you kind of see that it, people are liking it, then you get you're like, oh, I can do more of this. So it takes lots of time and lots of repetition of content and approvals and and results. But once then once you've gotten it a few times, then you start really rolling and it, it goes really smoothly. And so you typically interfacing directly with the athlete. I'm assuming there's a team around them. There's always a bunch of people around athletes. Like, how do you handle that? Because I could, I could see that getting quite frustrating if you don't have the right relationship from the get. Yeah, it, it is really has to be with the athlete directly. A lot of it's just text. We're not always even in the same city as the athlete. Um, and wow. they're always traveling and everything. But it's just, it's text. It's like a little bit of FaceTime to get the content. But then it's just like, hey, is, do you like this? Or they'll send us stuff like, hey, do you think I should post these? And we'll be like, oh, we'll just let me get them in the right ratios or let me just polish them up a little and bit. Are you doing all that yourself? Um, yeah, I have a business partner, Sebastian Aragata. And um, he's been he's been at Red Bull on Uninterrupted and now Content Capital along the way. Um, but yeah, we'll sometimes hire out editors for like bigger highlight packages or really cool visual effects people. Like there's a lot of people we can tap in, but a lot of it's just really quick turn. Like everything has to be done like right then, right in that moment. Um, it's also looking at stuff just like how is that game going? What's the highlight? How, how do we get that on the account fast? So it's a lot of things to it and it is a lot of time. That's why it's not a, it's, I don't really necessarily believe in like growth hacking or people buying followers because it's just, it's, it's the hard grind of doing it the right way. But then you have an audience that really cares about you that really will be along for the long term and they'll buy whatever you're making and they'll watch whatever you're making if you've done it the right way. But if you pay for 10,000 followers, you're just, just just for uh looks yeah so there's an athlete listening and i'm sure there'll be plenty what's the perfect engagement for you period of time type of person like how long do you need to prove out this vision oh if you if i started working with someone how long it takes yeah like what's your like do you say minimum six months minimum three months we usually do a three month like if someone's wanting to try it out it's like three months is a good amount of time where you kind of get the process down and first month is always a little rocky like it's hard because again you don't always see instant results but by the end of a month you'll probably start to see results and get the swing of what the process is and then by the third month you're you're starting to really go so three months and usually people are like okay now i need this keep going and then uh, do you ever feel like you leave like, is there a point where you say, and now you go into the world? Or do you feel like this is, you know, you talked earlier about how, you know, people pay people for, you know, their cars, their taxes, right? Their yeah. houses. Like, do you see this as a, a kind of like lifetime project? Or do you think there's a, a half-life for what you're talking about? I think I always try to not keep anything too precious and teach a man to fish. Like, 
Yeah. The goal is to make them feel comfortable where they could do any everything on their own if they want to. Yeah. And some people do like I and I wouldn't want to keep someone as a client if they feel like they could completely they've learned everything they're going to learn and they've got it. Yeah. Um, we do sometimes just like some boot camps where it's like this is going to be a two hour session. We're going to analyze your account. We're going to give you all the strategies you need, all the best practices, and you can take that and go. And some people just want to do that. They're like, just tell me what to do and I've got it. And I and I think younger athletes too are more socially native and they they like that. Um, but yeah, it it ends up being. But then sometimes it's hard because the more followers you have, then it becomes more and more pressure. So right. it's it's up to the person. And I don't think I ever want to keep someone to the point where if they could do it themselves. Yeah. It just I think people realize as they keep working with us, they're like, oh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. If I want to keep doing this. And so you mentioned. You want to start with athletes, mm-hmm. you want to start with social, but then you want to move into, you know, more of kind of a traditional media company. And I think the word you use is incubate IP. Mm-hmm. What does that actually mean in practice? And is there someone doing this already that you're taking inspiration from, even if it's not the way you want to execute it? Yeah, incubating IP, I think, is a really great concept because if you can have an idea or a series or something you do that people really love. Like I'm trying to think of a great good example. Um and there's so many, but I mean goop or something like that. Like when Paltrow just like liked wellness stuff and she started talking about it and mm. she became incredible. And then she's like, oh, this is let's make this bigger. Let's make this into products. Let's, you know, and then she really pulls that out or in a um in a media context, I know there's a so many. And a, now couple, I get... a couple examples to just chime in what you think. Hot Ones, I feel like, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like the Hot Wings. I think Action Bronson has done an amazing job of this with Fuck That's Delicious. Mm-hmm. Like took that to Vice, mm-hmm. didn't end great, created a couple of cookbooks around it, now is back doing it on his own. Mm-hmm. Like those shows are brilliant. I know. I always love to um, um, nail it. I've never seen Nailed It. What's that? Nailed It was it was a meme, actually. It was cool. that people used to look at Pinterest recipes, like these elaborate cakes, and then they'd try to make them and they'd turn out horribly. <laughs> and then they'd post before and after and say, Nailed It. And Got now it. there's a show on Netflix called Nailed It, yeah. where amateur chefs try to make elaborate cakes. And then they just did it again with, this is cake. Or yeah. is it cake? Okay. You seen this? No, I haven't seen this. On Instagram, people started making these cakes that looked like of glass of water or a plate of eggs and then they'd cut into it with a knife and it's actually cake. Wow. And now there's a show called Is It Cake? Yeah. And it's a competition series. So like those are those are memes turned into whole shows. Yeah. And I think um lots of people have done it and it's well not lots of people, but the big people can do it. But yeah. I think there's just so much opportunity to say, you know, I I did this little funny joke or actually um David Portnoy and yeah, yeah. Barstool with the like Pizza tasting. Absolutely. Like those are all ones. One slice. Yeah. One bite. You know the rules. It's like a a repetitive thing that people start to know and love and care about. And then it's like, it's enough where you could story tell more, where he goes around the world and does pizza. And I feel like everyone has the opportunity to do that. And they have the medium and tools to do it on their own channels. It's just a matter of kind of having the foresight. Like, I mean, Will Smith is topic right now but he had remember he had the dad body came out yeah, and he's like yeah, i gained yeah. all this weight yeah, yeah. i was like oh he's incubating ip right now to do a whole weight loss show 
I thought he'd be like, I'm fat and now I want to lose the weight and now I'm going to take you along for the journey yeah, yeah. and now I'm going to do and now everyone's doing it with me and now let's make a show out of it. So like if you think kind of like you're to reverse engineer the marketing yeah. of the bigger project. So I feel like there's tons of things like that and it's just a matter of looking for it and saying what's your long-term goal and then how do we talk about that and then what do people like what that you talk about in that about that topic and then how do you sell that into a show and you know the shop again try it out low barrier to entry to try it out on social and if it works great Brilliant. keep doing it and if it doesn't work cut your losses quickly yeah yeah instead of trying to it's just a huge thing like everyone's going to netflix with their their best and brightest idea to yeah. be like make this show it's like be able to say this gets a million views every single time once a week on instagram your audience is already baked in that seems like they're gonna say yes to that a lot quicker than a new idea they don't know yeah so you've recently made the change to kind of full-time entrepreneur how's that been for you and and how do you invest your time and what are the biggest leverage points for you right now like is it all about relationships is it really just telling the story of the success you've already had i'm curious like where you find your mind and time going in these early days I think it, I mean, it is interesting when you start um, to kind of figure out, okay, now I have all the time to focus on this. What do I focus on? Right. Um, and I'm trying to keep the main thing the main thing, just like the clients we have, you know, make the best content for them, find them the best growth, give them the best ideas. Because I think if you prove that out, that will, everything else will come naturally. But I, you know, it is a lot more time in, building relationships, talking to people, who can we, you know, what's a brand we could collab with, what's a person we can collab with, and kind of like getting that conversation going, um, just being so new. Um, and I think the biggest fundamental shift I realize is that from a company and a brand working at a full-time job, everything is inbound. You're trying to get through those emails, trying to get someone Sarah from accounting or right thing at the right time. And all of a sudden, when you're an entrepreneur, it's all outbound. Like no one's coming to ask you for things. You're asking everybody else for things. Right. And I think that's the biggest shift in mindset where you really have to be the one creating everything versus just the one executing everything. And what feeling are you chasing? Like, I guess, is there a moment in the next year where you'll be like, look, if I do that, job's done. Terrific. Yeah, I feel like the, I mean, for us, the biggest thing is just like when you do have those viral moments, it's so satisfying because you're like, we made that idea, we brought it to life and people loved it and it like grew the account and it got them on national news. And when you see also like when Complex reposts your, your post and you're like, that was a great moment. Yeah. And now people are seeing that athlete's face more. They're excited. Um, some of the... Yeah. And then there's big, like the big milestones, like we're um, really close to DeAndre being at a million followers on TikTok. Our other client, Richard Jefferson, his goal, he's like, I want to get to a million followers as fast as possible. And we're at 700,000 in like less than six months. So like when you're really, when, when the person and the whole team is excited to get to those milestones, it's really motivating to do that. Um, But, but yeah, it's like, when it finally all works and you see the success, that's the good thing about social is is very instant gratification yeah. of your work every day. So can you ever switch off from it? Because I, I got to admit, like, I love it, but sometimes I just need to get off IG for a week and just chill. Yeah, it's hard. I, I can't. Like when everyone has like 
screensaver. You hit your daily limit of Instagram. It's like, can't really, because between, you know, four clients, you're on it a lot for their accounts. And then you're, whether you're posting on or looking analytics or a lot of times like, I'm like, I'm going to sit down and just scroll on TikTok for an hour just to look for trends. And so it almost becomes like now everywhere you go, you're just like on social, on every platform. And it's hard because you're not necessarily enjoying it. You're thinking of it. You're right, you're well. having to be creatively thinking all the time. So it's hard, but I, I don't, I mean, I couldn't do my job if I was, if I took a week off of Instagram or TikTok or something, I, I think I would fall behind. That's challenging. Yeah. And so do you have a schedule? Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm trying to break the days, um, the days into priorities. So it's like, you know, really focus on each client one per day, like really deep diving into their strategy and then business development one day, accounting and like bookkeeping one day. And then I'm trying to think and figure out of like mornings are creative, afternoons are like more executional. So kind of trying to figure out that matrix, but with social, everything's happening all the time. So as much as I'm trying to make the schedule, it's like somebody will have something that you need to do right then. And so it's it's a little bit challenging, but I, I think structuring it. And I also wake up, like if I wake up at 6 a.m., like 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., then I get to do some like work uninterrupted. And that's that's where I'll get a lot done. And the rest of the day, you kind of have to be running and gunning and putting out fires and a lot of that. And I guess as you, as you kind of think about, you know, the kind of creative outlet, I'm curious, like when you create a content calendar, what percentage is like, okay, great. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing this type of post. And then what percentage is, this is hot this week, let's go. And like, how do you, how do you manage that with an athlete who I'm sure has got a very rigid schedule and practicing, spending time with family, doing my sponsorships? Like, how do you build that? Yeah, it's, Depends on the effort level of each athlete. So like Richard Jefferson, um, he's he loves, I mean, he's really trying to get to that million followers on TikTok and we're posting like three to five times a day on TikTok. Oh, bloody hell. Like a lot. We're like a DeAndre and I think it is okay for public figures to post a little bit less. Yeah. But we're kind of trying to do like once a day or once every other day. Just kind of keep his account always on. But read out the content so we don't go through everything quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of centered around big moments. So when you know, like, okay, it's NBA finals, that will be a big moment for the conversation around you, around the account. So let's kind of stack and prepare content around that time period, um, you know, our Super Bowl or playoffs or whatever it is. Um, and then during the downtimes, like off-season, you're trying to bank as much content as you possibly can while they have free time. That's that's content that's evergreen, but you know you could use for a few months. Yeah, they're kind of like scavenging and. And like is this storing. like going to a Dropbox, a Google Drive, a iCloud shared album? Like, where's it going? You know what? I have tried all the tools, and I feel like <laughs> the best thing is just like iCloud shared albums. Yeah, absolutely. Like texting, yeah. because with content and files, like we, I adamantly believe that iPhone content is going to be the top perform. It's proven out, but iPhone content does the best on all socials, vertical video. So we're not really like exporting from big cameras or like huge content days. We're just like, it's like 
iPhone clip, iPhone clip. And we're putting those into shared folders and then we can kind of pull for them from them. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to be like, let's have them all in yeah. this. Because then you're just double downloading, uploading, all that stuff. So it's very like on the phone. Um, but there's organization to it. Uh, mostly just making sure everybody's, you have all the content in one place. Every single clip from like a two second video to like a whole series, you need to have one place because then you can use it a bunch of times. Yeah. I feel like recently I've just been living in Canva. And uh, Canva, yeah. You know, because they've got great, like the Modern House is my favorite social channel and they're a brand that I think tells a really beautiful story and it fits my aesthetic. And so just like building out that template with my brand palette in Canva and then sitting there. But it's tough because, you know, it takes time. You build those templates, but then you're like, oh, got it. But I still have to do the app. I still have to do the poll or I still have to do the link. So it's crazy that there's still such a manual element to social. And mm -hmm. like, as far as I know, there really isn't a good tool where you can like pre-program stories. Like you can pre-program posts, but brands get caught out all the time pre-programming posts. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious, are you concerned at all about the scalability I of, think, of what you've got right now? I mean, even at every company, I think there's ways to scale it where you get more efficient with your strategies. So yeah. Um, one of the things you probably could track where I'm working based on question of the week, but like we always, I question of the week is sort of uninterrupted, but it's just like a graphic that's a question. And then it just really like, then the conversation is the, the real contents in the comment, the commenting. So like though, that's a good one where you could just crank out, you could bang 10 questions of the week and then have those once a week for, you know, the year. So those are ones where you're like, okay, we've got one day down. Yeah. Like. Things like that, you can, you know, tweet cards, uh, things like, like, so we kind of have those sometimes as tools to help scale certain elements of it. Yeah. But until the platforms change, and I don't even know if you can, even at brands, like I don't ever really advise pre-programming because you never know, again, like the current events, what's happening that day, yeah. uh, what time is best. So it's kind of preparing the content for the week or the month as much as you can. And then that day, taking that hour to post it correctly that day. Yeah. Um, and that's, you can scale that with like, you can teach somebody how to program that post that one day. It's the harder thing to think of the whole strategy. So it's good for younger employees because you're like, you're going to do this, figure out how to do this perfectly once a day. And that's scalable. It's just how to put together the puzzle so that it's happening the whole year round. But yeah, it, it's, it's challenging. And I think you... Still can't pre-program, I mean, on TikTok or Instagram, really, you, on TikTok, some of the filters and stuff, you actually have to record yourself live. So there's a lot that you have to do, and we find workarounds to how to do it without yeah. the person there or things yeah. like that. But that's that's kind of the fun of it, too. The fun of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's terrific. And I, I think, I'm curious if that's going to change, mm -hmm. because I feel like someone who figures that out is going to be huge. But then I guess from the platform standpoint, like they're selling off how much time people are spending on these apps. So I think there's probably a strategic element there. But I'm curious, like if someone's listening to this and they're not an athlete um, and they're like, I really like what Karen has to say, are you open to working with people who aren't in sports? Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's, I mean, this problem exists everywhere. everywhere. So athletes I is just your beachhead. Yeah, athletes is just the the people that I know their world the best. Yeah. 
Um, one of my clients is Jeremy Piven. He's an actor. He has a podcast. I think sometimes people who have specific projects, it helps them understand like a podcast. Like I want to make this podcast big. Yeah. That requires a full social strategy, but it helps them think about it in a, in a little bit of a better way. Um, but everyone, I mean, musicians have social strategists a lot, I think, because they're so used to like album cycles and billboard cycles. Um authors like to get on new york times bestseller list it's absolutely like, so there it's very applicable everywhere i've had ceos reach out to me like i want to start speaking and do yep. but like people aren't booking me because they look at my instagram and they don't really know what i do i don't want followers i just want my instagram to look like people know what i what i do yeah, yeah, yeah. so i think right now athletes is i think a really good area of opportunity that i know the best but overall i feel like it's i would love to have a whole department that's artists and actors and podcasters and CEOs um, because it's it's similar, different dynamics to each. But I think that's why I, I get excited about it because I feel like it's not going to go away. Only become more valuable. And people expect your channels to be your resume, to be an extension of who you are. Yeah. And so if anyone needs help doing that, we can do it in a very small scale or a very involved long scale way. Two questions on that. Do you think of yourself as an agent and how are you reframing the current a agent relationship? Um, I would love to get your two cents on that. And then you mentioned the word value. How do you, ch like, how do you figure out what you're going to charge? Because obviously there's a time component to this, but looking at the value that you could create for somebody just off one Instagram that's, you know, been reps over five or six years, like, how do you try and capture that value? Because that must be tricky. It is. And that's, I think, why it took me a while. And I'm glad I didn't go out on my own soon, like too soon. Yeah. Because it's a new space. Like that, this role has not existed ever before and hasn't been needed before. So it's, it's taken me a little bit of testing and learning to understand how to position myself. On the agent component, I was worried when I first started that the agent would be like, get out of here. Like, yeah. this is my world. Yeah. But I've, found out over time that agents actually really excited about it because it's a space they don't know. They know it's important and they know it's something that's going to market their athletes. So I position myself not as an agent, um, but more of a digital brand manager. So it's like, how do we tell this person's story the best and uh, the greatest way so that more deals will come in for the agent? So the agent actually should, it should be rising tide lifts all boats. Like that. They should like, be dragging you in. Yes. And now I've seen that agents are like, we need you. And then also there's a lot of brand deals that require social deliverables. So it'll be like, is 10 posts a year too much? Is Should we do Instagram stories versus Twitter? Or should we do, a, what's, how much should it be for a grid post? So yeah. they really like the support um, of how they should sell brand deals in. And then when you show those different elements of their personality, they're like, I was just thinking football, but now we can do cooking. Like there's 20 brands in cooking we could talk to or traveling. And so it gives them more fuel to what they can sell to. Um, and it's very, very teamwork based. Like I'm like, hey, by the way, this is blowing up. This post is blowing up. Maybe we should talk to XYZ and sell this into something. Um, but we don't. I think it, you could start to have a slippery slope into becoming an agent or not slippery slope, but like you could start to overlap right. tasks really quickly. Yeah. So it's a little bit closer to like a PR agent where yeah. it's like your job is to make them as big as possible. 
and make them as relevant as possible. And then the agents there to to do the all the the brand deals. And I think I do think there's when it comes to like incubating IP and bigger content type deals. I think that's where we can come into play. But I, I kind of keep a strong church and state so that we don't. Yeah, we know where our priorities are. Yeah. I think it's fascinating when you're working on something and the language doesn't exist. Because mm-hmm. like digital brand manager, PR, it's not really any of those things, but it's an element of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't really come up with a better term myself. Like, you know, I like storyteller in chief or resident storyteller, like something that denotes the thesis of what we're kind of talking about, which is be a human first and everything else will build. But also, you know, doesn't get on anybody's toes and it isn't forever mm-hmm. um, like there's a sunset period to it and uh yeah i'm I'm just really curious i mean if you, if you look at any company in the 2000s you know social media manager head of social weren't job titles that existed mm-hmm. they look at the same as crypto now it's changed um and so i'm curious what part of the wave you're on and yeah i i guess for me like i as someone who hasn't done a lot of social like but feels like they have a real story to tell. I, I kind of get stuck sometimes. Like I'm spending all my time telling other people's stories. Mm-hmm. So who tells yours? Yeah, it's actually, I mean, I always have loved social personally and um, it's very innate to me, but it has, it's it's hard when you're thinking of everybody else's stuff, it's hard to think of your own. And then yeah. you're like, now I'm, I'm my own client and I need to think about how <laughs> I should position this. So it's hard. It's hard to think of. Every, yeah. It's easier when you're looking for yourself where you're like, oh, that's funny. I want to do that. Except for being like, that's funny. So-and-so could do it and then they could do it this way and then you're the last on the list where it's not going to get to you. I'm Absolutely. thinking of the clients before myself. So I, maybe on my Saturday should be my own content strategy day, but it, it, it does start to fall off. And um, I don't know. I also don't know. The language is hard. Like at Uninterrupted, I was director, director of content strategy, which I think that content strategy I like because it is the strategy of like what content we create and why, but some people don't get that. Social, I think, is kind of pigeonholes you in a certain mindset, uh, but it is. You're creating content. You're you're being a producer of content. Absolutely. You're being a marketing agent. You're be, you know what I mean? Like it's so many things combined, and so I I, I mean, if you think of something, let me know. Yeah, I will. Well, we'll work on it together. Yeah. I'm curious to change up gears as we close. What's Wait. something nobody knows about you? Nobody knows. I always love asking this question. Oh, I I think nobody knows that I really love, like, I feel like if I could do something, I wish I could be like a comedian or something. Like, I love comedy and I think I love social because there's so many elements of comedy that are in it. And I think that's where, like, sometimes I'll trend to making things funny because I'm like, oh, this is really clever. And I always love looking at comedian social and I appreciate that a lot. So I actually did a, I did stand up one time, two times. But if I had more time, I would love to do that. I saw that actually. You did Second City, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, Chica- in Chicago? No, in LA. They have a LA. Because I, I, when I had more time, I was like, I'm going to do a stand up class. Wow. And How'd did, it go? It was great. I loved it. And it just the same kind of thinking. It's like, how do you yeah, make yeah, something yeah. funny out of nothing? So I loved it. And it, it forced you to be very uncomfortable. And so. I love it, but I don't think many people know that about me. Yeah, good one. That's amazing. And are there any, I guess, foundational quotes, 
movies, books, people that really guide your thinking and the way you live? The book I love, I love a lot of like psychology marketing books, but there's one called Contagious. Contagious. Which is great. And it's about the pretty much the science of how things gain momentum. And it's not necessarily about social. I think it was a little bit before the social yeah. wave, but it's just about like, how do you make things sticky? How do you make it so that somebody's excited to tell somebody about it? Mm. And I love that. It, it's um, the example is like a new cheesesteak restaurant opened up in Philly and they decided to do a hundred dollar cheesesteak, which had gold and stuff on it. But like that one item was the word of mouth that made everyone talk about it. Cause as soon as you go, you have to leave and tell somebody about it. And it became the most famous restaurant like overnight just because of one wow. very shareable thing. And it's just the, the science of like contagious storytelling. Mm. So I love that one. Um, I'm trying to think of like quotes or movies, things. Um, but, but Contagious is really good. I love all Malcolm uh, Gladwell's books. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of psychology that I really like throughout social. Because, You're a true psychologist. Yeah, it, it's very clear. right. Yeah, because I love it. Like, why does someone like that? Mm. Why is that like hit so home to people? And so I, I think I use that a lot subconsciously. You ever get wrapped up in that? I, I feel like I get wrapped up in that as I like can overthink an interaction because of my ability to take it from so many different domains. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, have you ever done Strength Finders? Uh, no, but I've done other personality other tests. I love Strength Finders and one of them is Woo. Woo? Woo. Okay. I'm, I'm, my number two is Woo. And I guess it's very rare and very rare to have at the top, but it's not woo like woo. It's woo stands for winning others over. And so the great thing about it is you love talking to people. You're Mm. like very social. The bad side of it is you can become obsessed with like making people like you. Like if there's the meanest person in the room, I'm like, I'm going to make them my friend. And that's where I'll like overanalyze and, and like keep, keep kind of like, I need them to like me, which is kind of a bad thing sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the psychology of it, I love it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, look, Karin, this has been amazing. Uh, final question is just if people have enjoyed this, how can they support you? Where can they find you? And and I don't know, like, what do you want them to do with the, the stuff you've shared today? I mean, I think overall it's just like trying to think deeper about the value of social and the value that comes with having your own channels yeah. fundamentally. Yeah. That everyone, I always say everyone has their own newspaper now, their own TV channel. Absolutely. And it's just a matter of whether you want to use it. And I think thinking that way and seeing that opportunity is a big shift and it will become the future. And then I think it's just looking for people who maybe they're not using that voice the way they should. I always am looking for people who have a lot of influence in the world that are not sharing that influence on their channels. And that's, I think if you see someone like that and you're like, this person has a lot of great things to say or a great story to tell, and they need to do that, then come talk to me. And um, yeah, just be looking at that and seeing the opportunities in that. And uh, I think Instagram is probably like car in the garage uh, on Instagram is easy one. Um, Otherwise, the content capital group um, website. But yeah, 
the hedge fund slash agency, as you said, yes. our first call. Yes, I wanted the name to sound like you can't tell if it's a hedge fund or an agency or yeah. a secret society. Yeah. So content capital group. Yeah. And I love that because now you won't just be getting sent chin drips, but hopefully. Yeah. Other, hopefully some... other people with a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So athletes, entertainers, again, like CEOs, anybody who just, you know, has something valuable yeah. um, that needs better content strategy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, I hope this we do this again. This has been yes, a blast. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye.